Hey everyone, welcome to episode 186 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. And we are also joined today by another guest. We're really hitting it with guests lately. We've got our good friend Dylan Donegan here, who is qualified for the Mox this week. I don't know what it's called now, but it's the Mox. Who's playing in the Mox this weekend? Dylan, how's it going? Great, guys. Great to talk to you. Great to see y'all's faces again. Yeah, I'm playing the actual factual mocks, whatever it, yeah, whatever it is. Uh, it, so, it, it's the one that you want to be playing in. It's the last one at the, the top of the heap of all yeah, of that. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, yeah, it's honestly probably the biggest Magic tournament I've ever played in my life, which is, uh, you know, of course, very exciting in its own right. No, it honestly feels like I'm, it hasn't all seeped in. I'm not like, you know, like jumping in excitement or anything, but it's it's just a it's like a real privilege to be able to play in this type of tournament you know coming from an scg background or whatever my whole magic career it's just like a real it's like a like almost like a level up or just like another like almost like an extra bump of like recognition it's like yeah i'm playing in the actual mocks like i don't know it's sweet you know it's it feels like a little moment in my uh magic career yeah i know i was really stoked when you won the qualification for this with like arosa right I won with, so I won with Boggles. Boggles, yeah. Oh, it was Boggles? That's right. It's actually a funny story how I queued and then ultimately, yeah, the, the lead up to this. The way it works is, is essentially there's a PPTQ, uh, these like mock showcase challenges where if you top eight, you now qualify for a PTQ for the mocks. PTQ is like 24 people. So I qualified for both the modern and the legacy ones, um, which was pretty cool. Uh, I qualified for Legacy with Hogak and then Modern with Bant Control in the Urza format, but it was at the very end. And for whatever reason, you know, people had gotten away from Urza. So, and I hadn't even been playing much Magic actually at the time because um, I've shifted to poker really since Corona. And it was it was around August, and I played the Bant deck and ultimately top aided to Q for the Modern. Um, and then yeah, then the PTQs come. And they were on the same weekend, so I had Modern and Legacy, and I didn't play any Magic, zero. I didn't prepare at all. On Monday, I decided I was going to play Boggles. Like I, I just thought about it a lot. Uh, honestly, kind of thanks to poker, I have like a much better understanding of game theory nowadays, and I just kind of mapped out the tournament. I knew it was a lot of good players. The whole format was just four color control and or whatever and Uro pile and prowess was the entire four those are the only good decks yeah those are the only good decks only good decks there's 24 people everyone's solid everyone's gonna play one of those yeah i just like thought about all that and on monday i was just like yeah i'm just gonna slam boggles no question i called zan on wednesday uh, that week and i was like yo how does this sound and he was like yeah it's great obviously like <laughs> you know like i mean zan is never gonna say no if boggles is somewhat reasonable zan just gonna yeah of course just throw that in there yeah yeah and he's also my only friend in the world that's playing boggles <laughs> so i uh and you know obviously a, a very smart man that i respect so i gave him a call asked him if it sounded good he said it sounded great we talked about a list on friday night actually um, really, the big change was just putting a bunch of um, Griff Spoons in the deck because uh, Field of the Dead was so prevalent. And also, actually, to, to block Prowess creatures out of Blue Red, too. So uh, I played the full four. And yeah, I mean, Boggles was insane that tournament. Like, I really, 
I hate to, you know, hype myself up or anything, like certainly not trying to be too overblown about that, but it, I, I, I played it and I won, I, I beat it in top eight. And then there was only one other person who played it and they got 10th. So there were three of 24 people and it was first, eighth and 10th or whatever. It was a clear home run for the tournament. And a hell of a deck for if you feel unprepared for any particular format as it stands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was nice to yeah not have to stress too much about my play. But, you know, even in the finals, like, it was tough. I actually ended up playing McWinsauce and then Tangrams was my top four in top or in finals opponents. Yeah, excellent players. Yeah. Some of the best Moto Grinders, period. And then they were both on the four-color deck, which is what I probably would have played otherwise. And, you know, I, I love myself playing some blue mirrors but it really did come down to that basically like principle theory for this this sort of approach which i also use for the players championship uh, of playing hogak in a tournament where you're not going to be able to actually leverage your skill as much or you're you know going to be playing players of similar caliber it you know that that edge you would normally get from playing a blue deck is is kind of lost and it opens this new door of exploitation for a deck like boggles or something like that to, to step in so that's honestly i like I think just kind of how I've been approaching these sort of tournaments, it's just kind of a whole new game where it's just like, okay, it's a bunch of good players playing good decks. How, how, how can I exploit that? Now, is that a, is that a kind of psychology exploitation angle or, or at least like a, a taking advantage of your opponent's natural inclinations? You know, these strong players are going to be more inclined to play, you know, the cryptic command deck or, you know, I, I don't even remember I, like exactly what stage of the format of building these blue decks we were in, but likely to play the blue soup deck because they are good. They have been playing the blue soup deck. It's a high play skill ceiling kind of deck. Um, and then that becomes, you know, an angle that you can shoot. Yeah. It's honestly kind of a mix of both where like, again, I, I just think the psychology of it is just that again, yeah, you kind of know where everyone else is at or where everyone else is thinking, especially a lot, I mean, just uh, not to like sell people short or kind of make uh, generalizations, but these players don't deviate a lot. Like they're going to play the blue deck. They're going to play the, exactly what you're saying. Like uh, they're, they're going to play the tier one solid deck that they've likely been playing throughout the format. And that just kind of opens a new door when you're, when you know the entire field. So that's, that's part of it. But then, yeah, exactly what it goes back to. It's just, it's hard to leverage your skill when you're playing If I'm going to, in this tournament that's coming up, for example, if I were to play Jun Shadow, which typically is a deck if I'm going to bring to a Grand Prix or a Moto Challenge, I'm thinking, you know, especially the first couple rounds, I'm going to be able to leverage my skill, make some plays, you know, kind of finesse my opponent a little, so to speak. Um, but in, in this tournament, that's just not the case. It's just going to be, you know, very grueling, hard, toe-to-toe, neck-and-neck sort of matches where people are going to make very few mistakes. And in that world, I actually think playing that deck is it actually doesn't give you a, be- a better edge than actually, you know, trying to exploit. So that's just something I'm not saying you should do that every time for these types of tournaments. And obviously also these tournaments are niche, right? They're rare. And there's only eight, pe- there's only eight people in each of the tournaments this weekend. And yeah. It's, one. it's for like, yeah, it's sub 24 people tournaments where, where I can literally map out everybody on a spreadsheet and see what archetypes they're going to be playing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's just a different kind of game. And yeah, kind of just going back to just the overall like theory about it, I think it's something I've been keen to like. Just at the last Players Championship, you know, when we we played Devoted Druid instead of Urza, which is Urza was the clear best deck. Everyone knows that. We knew a lot. Oka was legal then, so it was 
obviously the best deck by a lot. Yeah, but we found an exploit of playing Devoted Druid, and then Collins and I and Abe as well decided to play the Hogak deck for the same purposes. You know, I'm fully capable of showing up to that tournament with Rug Delver or Snow and trying to grind it out with Edgar and yada yada. But why even, why even do that to myself? It's just like it's almost like I'm I'm almost handicapping myself by doing that. And I I don't remember who it was, but one of y'all just like four would with Hogak, right? Um, yeah, I two one and Collins three would, yeah, three would, yeah. I, I know one of you went undefeated, and I was just like, oh yeah, that was a clearly a good choice. Yeah, I mean Abe did poor, but everyone, but me and Collins just rolled with that one, and and I've actually done well with Hogak in similar situations prior. I mean, it, it qualified me for essentially the the legacy PTQ of this one, which was funny. I actually didn't have to play that tournament on yeah. Sunday, which was great. <laughs> Uh, and Ghoul the Cot ended up winning that one, which was which was pretty cool. Who actually I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast already. I told you guys prior, but I'm working with Dan uh, for this tournament, which has been a great experience, actually. If if you want to segue, actually, yeah, yeah, let's talk about. I mean, let's talk about your specific prep for this tournament. Let's just let's just dive into how that's been going. So what's the what's the format for this tournament? So we've got um, modern and vintage cube are the only two formats. Um, the structure is very interesting. It's so weird. It's such a weird structure. Yeah, I know. Three rounds of draft, three rounds of modern. Each winner of the pod, so each person who three O's, is just in the finals or you know playing playing in the championship. If you win both, you just win the tournament. There's no finals, which is kind of weird, but yeah. sure. <laughs> you go six O, you just take take it home. It's really weird. It 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 results in like a lot of matches happening that don't really matter at all. It's like so the person strange. Who, the person who wins the cube is like, "All right, I'm going to try to 3-0 just to win the tournament, but if I lose the first match, who cares?" I've been <laughs> I've been joking with my friends so I threw the cube. I'm chilling. I'm getting lunch. I'm, a, I'm a, whatever. See you guys in a bit. Like, you know, like Right. Yeah, what's your equity? What are your odds of actually winning the modern part versus the equity of like I'm going to eat lunch and not stress about these matches right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go on a run and yeah, <laughs> just chill. Yeah, so it's, it's really weird. Um, and actually, it was kind of interesting for deck consideration for Modern because it's like, man, I have to play three rounds and I almost feel like it's a 3-0 or bust situation. So does that change your analysis? Because, you know, at its at its very, like, basic core, it doesn't really matter if you have to go xo versus like an x1 or x2 like you you just want the deck with the highest win percentage versus the expected field at a very base level when your field is this tiny though i expect that there's some like confusing variables that rise up and, and kind of change that process a little bit yeah it got me thinking a lot about um so i, I initially uh i'll just start out with like what decks i was considering and kind of talk about why like uh, initially Especially, you know, after the bans, it was very clear. I thought that the best decks in the format were, were Heliod, Blue-Red, Prowess, and then Shadow. At the time, Red-Black, and now Evolved into Junk. That was clear from the get-go. And I was really high on Blue-Red from the start, because I just thought that deck was good pre-bans. And uh, it was it, it was just really solid versus most of the good decks already. And obviously, it didn't lose anything. So I started there. That kind of falls in the category of just, like, standard good deck. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it i'm not going to be disappointed playing with it it's kind of almost 50 50 versus everything maybe a little better maybe a little worse um and i kind of knew that whole time the whole time uh where it's like okay i can play this stack and be happy no matter what pretty much and jund as of like a week or two ago i, I figured 
probably falls in like the same-ish category. Heliod Jund, Jund Death Shadow, just to be clear, not not Jund Jund. Yes, not Jund Jund. Uh, yeah, just anytime I say Jund, I mean Jund Shadow. <laughs> sure. Heliod, kind of similar, but actually in the expected metagame, it, it's actually almost like a good metagame call. Um, so when looking through the players, I think there's going to be at least two Jund decks. Uh, certainly one, but I think it could even be two or three. I even played against Charlie, uh, who's Antonio Del Moraleon, this past weekend in one of these mock showcases, and he was on John Shadow. So, but then I also got reports from a, a friend of ours saying that he was playing Green White Heliod as of Monday, prior, right before we submitted. And and, and what people are, have been playing in recent events, you know, they're also doing this consideration process of in those events, that's a wider field. They're going to bring a deck that they think they can do well in a larger event. In this event, you know, they're thinking along the same lines as you. This is an eight person event. It might not be, they're just bringing the best deck in the format. You know, they're smart people too. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I'm certain I can't be the only one trying to think about metagaming, but I will say based on the player's prior history, it seems as most people lend themselves towards a sort of Jun Shadow, Blitz, Prowess, whatever type type strategy. There's one person who only plays Dredge, so I'm banking. You know, spoiler alert, we have three Tormont scripts in our sideboard. Let's, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that one works out. Yeah. I mean, and Oriac Champion also just sounds like a pretty good card in this particular expected metagame. Yeah, I mean, when you when I describe that, Green-White just sounds insane, right? Green-White Heliod. Yeah. So yeah. actually, to kind of to wrap that up, but I actually want to touch on Heliod more. I, I was considering bottles again for yeah. the for the exploitation strategy essentially, and that was really like one of my final two. Uh, you know, spoiler: I'm playing blue red prowess. That's where I landed. That's what I tested the majority of the time. I think I got it in a spot where my Jun matchup's okay. Uh, I have two vapor snags main, one sideboard, and then two threads of disloyalty. Nice uh, classic Tarmogoyf card, which was a recommendation from Abe uh, Abe Corrigan. I know a lot of people played like Entrancing Melody as of late in, in that sort of slot, but I think Threads is a lot better because you just need to take a two drop on turn three a lot. Uh, it, yeah. you know, it's, one one mana is a huge difference despite it being able to, you know, get trophied or killed or whatever. Taking the Scourge or the Goyf is a lot better than not being able to do that. And you can be really targeted because you, you're you assuming that your meta of decks that might show up is a very small group of decks. So you don't have to be broad in your answers. Yeah, and those have performed really well in, the t in testing. So um, honestly, I probably wouldn't have played Blue Red if it weren't for figuring out the threads. So I'm really happy about that. But yeah, I was definitely considering Boggles just because of that metagame. But ultimately, hearing that uh, Delmaraleon might be playing Heliod, there's two basically question marks in the field. There's one guy who's just all Vintage. He's, he's There's just no results yeah. on Moto besides Vintage. So, you know, that's... Who right. knows? Honestly, I really, I, I don't really know what to peg them on. Maybe they like blue decks, but uh, you know, I think Tron, Dredge, like Hammer Time. You know, those are kind of yeah, even Prowess. Those are kind of decks that could see a vintage player. Justin's a uh, he, he's the vintage player. He's very much like me. He plays a lot of Paradoxical Storm and Vintage. This is I am actually level one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he played like he was playing a Pioneer prelim the other day and he just played with lotus combo lotus field combo because it's just like how he wants to play magic yeah so yeah like dredge or tron maybe or maybe maybe they play storm even though I, that's 
It's a really bad callback. Uh, uh, you, you can't play Storm in this one. Yeah. But, you know, that one's an outlier. I, I don't know. So the comp, and, there's, and then there's another person who it's like, you know, there's a few results of like Blitz. I think they had a blue white in there. Now, there's one player who in, in Randy Bueller's uh, doc, I don't remember if it was in your mocks or the Sunday mocks. Uh, but there's one player who has like 121 matches lifetime on Moto or something like that, and just started playing Moto in November. I think I saw that. I can't. It was remember. in. The, it wasn't in uh, Dylan's seat. It was in the okay. Next one. Okay. Okay. The what Dylan has the person who's been playing since the start of Moto. Okay. <laughs> yes. That, that. That's absurd. I saw. I was actually going through the win rates. Uh, I had the second highest in modern and like the fourth in cube, like kind of tied for third, but I was happy about that. But yeah, Daniel. Uh, your cool to cut. He had he had the highest win rate in modern, and he had played five times as many matches as I had. I was just <laughs> wow, <laughs> that is that's dedication. Yeah. Gold Dakot is a if you play Moto, like you recognize that username. Like if you're playing challenges, like you will play against Gold Dakot if you're doing well in them. I had the fortune of teaming with him one of the team events. He's such a wonder. Because he's a super, super analytical player, which is, it was weird for our like team dynamic because I'm not like that. I'm very intuitive. So we got to pull off some like weird plays when I would suggest something and he wouldn't know why to do it. And it would just work out. <laughs> yeah, he he's great, actually. Uh, so I, I've been working with him a little and uh, the most fascinating thing about working with him throughout this time was... Um, at the start, I so we, we messaged each other through through a mutual buddy of ours, and uh, and I've talked to him a little in the past, but not a bunch. And uh, you know, we're just talking about modern some, and I'm telling him, you know, I'll help him out with cube a bunch. He hasn't played a lot of cube. It, when we're talking about modern, I'm like, yeah, like you know, here are the good decks. Obviously, what I just said to y'all, but I might try to go for some exploitative strat like bobbles or dredge or something like that if I think that, you know, once I research the players, it'll be a good enough call. And he was like. Yeah, I just don't care about doing that. I'm just going to play what I like and test it and tune it and focus on that, which is, you know, dark. I'm not, I, I don't want to say what he's playing explicitly because I think this will be oh, that's fine. But, you know, point being, he had never tested another deck, never tried, didn't have any interest, just played what he liked, tuned it, and that was it. And he, and, and he said a big part of that was because he was like, I think that people really underrate just being in a good mental state or being happy when they're playing magic. And he's like, I don't mm -hmm. want to play at bottles and be miserable and hate, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, like that would affect my play throughout the tournament. So he just wants to play what he likes and is fun and good. And that's basically his like overall strategy, which I, yeah, I thought was fascinating. I respect, I respect Daniel a lot. If you, like if anyone listening to this has not heard of this guy, cause you don't play Moto a lot or whatever, uh, go to his Twitter. It's gooey underscore Dakot, not Goldacot, because it was taken on Twitter for some reason. But he'll post all the time. He's got deck lists, sideboard guides for pretty much every format he plays. And they're always hyper detailed. Like he does not cut corners. He wants to do everything the best he can and as complete as he can. Yeah, mad respect to Daniel. And yeah, was just that, that overall mindset, I think is just really val a valuable takeaway. And actually... Not to trail the conversation away from magic, but it's something I've kind of gotten either adjusted to or a, a better understanding of in poker where like actually one of the people I watch a lot kind of jokes, but it's serious saying like good, good mentality is the key to poker. 
And he says that like kind of jokingly and kind of like in good stride, but it's like, he's actually very serious where it's just like, you do you know how much money you lose when you're tilted or how many mistakes you make in magic when you're tilted, when you're not having fun. It's actually like absurd if you really like, <laughs> you know, could compound that over the years. Uh, so I think that is just a testament to Ghoul's statement of just like, play what you like, play what you know, and play play what's fun uh, to you because you're just, you're going to have such a better time. And that's ultimately probably going to net a better result, like more times than not. Maybe in one specific tournament, it might do them good to play a dredge deck or something. But ultimately in the long run, in five years, he's going to be so much happier playing his, his pet deck every time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's just an interesting thought process that probably not enough magic players you know think like that and i'm not even saying i'm like he swayed me completely to to that like i certainly would i'm gonna try to explo exploit and, and play play what i think is the best deck for a given tournament or whatever you know there's a kci deck you know i'm gonna try to play that even if it's not what i enjoy the most but i do think just taking something from that or even you know implementing that to a small extent in my strategy is useful like you know if i'm unsure then maybe i'll just play my shadow deck because i like it you know yeah you you are definitely not immune from i enjoy this deck and i will play it at a tournament because it gives me the best chance because i enjoy playing it like nobody is basically fundamentally what ghoul is saying it's just i wasn't really like thinking about it like that it was just an action almost. you know what i mean it was just i was just doing it because it was kind of like of nature it wasn't like for sure. Something I was really consciously thinking, like, I'm going to play this all the time. Yeah. Anyways, I'm rambling now. Well, and, and doing it, like, completely differently. Like, yeah, I mean, it's one thing if it's just like, okay, I can't drive to a tournament and not play Oko when Oko is legal, even if I hate the Oko decks. Like, you're just giving up too much equity. But over, like, the course of many, many Magic tournaments over an entire Magic career, like, there's only so many people who are getting greater equity out of it than like the fun to be had from going to a tournament and hanging out with your friends and playing good matches of Magic the Gathering against good players. So like, where is your, where's your equity coming from? Where's your profit coming from? If you're giving up the fun part of the game itself, if you, if you keep playing decks that you're just like, all right, here's another aura on my boggle. Like I would, I just want to die now. Like, it's pointless or even the time and energy you put into trying to find those decks or test those decks when mm -hmm. you could have just been playing the deck you like and figuring it out yeah swap swap five card slots and then like this version of your pet deck is like two percentage points off of this deck that you could have spent a million years finding like maybe just play the deck you like man remember when, remember when collins played draw that was <laughs> yeah like i think that's a factor that not enough people think about too that i probably have neglected a lot in the past where it's just like spend the majority of my week testing a bunch of you know either nonsense or decks that i think might be the the, the deck for the weekend ultimately only to play you know is it phoenix or whatever you know and it's like man i i spent like i played like five leagues of you know f and dredge why didn't i just <laughs> you know why didn't i just like play two with is it phoenix or right. two you know 10 focused matches versus the matchup i want to figure out figure that out and then be done for it the week and you know do something productive with my time do something else you know like yeah. that probably would have been a much better or, allocation worse, of time worse you know is when you end up and you're in round three of the tournament and you're like i ended up playing phoenix and like three of my sideboard slots are wrong because i just like 
would have figured that out if I had played one more league with Phoenix. Because I spent uh, Monday through Thursday testing Marty's shadow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, it's just, you know, kind of, I think, just an interesting takeaway to, from, from, from Ghoul of, uh, you know, there's some merit to, to be just, or to, to be said to just playing what you like and know, and know rather than investing time and effort into trying to find the deck. That's a, the, the siren song of breaking it is always there. You like, yeah, I think, yeah. I think magic players are just kind of constantly always chasing that. And I, I remember PV said this a while ago. It's like, you've only break like a format every five years. You know, it's very, if right. that, yeah. You know, and he was like, I think he said this for a pro tour where they, I think it was the, the pro tour. They all played blue, green Karn. And he was just like, you know, what were, you know, we just wasted our, we, we, people need to spend less time breaking it and just tuning the good decks. Yeah. That was a whole team wasting a pro tour. The best team at the tournament wasting an entire pro tour. And think about, yeah, they, they threw two weeks of their time, all their effort, a, certainly a substantial amount of money and equity in the, in the tournament for all of them because they <laughs> tried to break it. Yeah. And. Yeah, I think people just need to try to chase that a little less. And, and they didn't know it at the time, but that was the qualifying year for the MPL. Don't God. say, don't yeah, say that. So and it's 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 just like you can't insulate yourself against it because two of the players on that team were PV and LSV, like two of the like top four players of all time. So like if they're not immune from these inclinations, then like you can try you can resist it as much as as much as you want but if you think you broke it like it's it's really hard to say no to that yeah yeah i think that's a good point it's like if they can't resist that sort of almost flaw like nobody nobody really could probably yeah um but yeah there's just that's probably been the like outside of you know testing and tuning my deck and figuring out the matchups with dan that's been the best part of that was just that initial conversation with him and uh, you know, kind of hearing his perspective. So that's all I had to say about that, really. Well, and I I appreciated hearing some of your specific choices. I I like so you know I played some. Is it prowess? I played a couple of leagues with it. Started out with vapor snags in my deck, and then realized like very quickly that it's completely unplayable in a main deck in an open f field of modern because you play again you, you can't stop yourself from playing against oh here's mono blue living end like here's just straight blue white control and i have vapor snag in my deck but if you that is really really like fundamentally different from there's seven other players i know their names i know that they're going to be trying in this tournament so i can write off like this 60% chunk of the meta game and like focus in on this stuff so i i really hope that that pays off for you i mean it sounds like you're you're pretty targeted in and and at least have a plan yeah actually so with the snags it's kind of kind of interesting and also just shout out vapor snags like my one of my pet cards like yeah lee knows <laughs> like i started playing in delver standard like that was when i started and i just always loved that, that card uh so it's kind of funny to be playing it now like and you know 10 years later <laughs> and like the biggest tournament of my life uh yeah so i was looking through lists last really last night just kind of trying to make the last little tweaks and i had two to three snags in my sideboard like trying three as kind of over overkill and i saw a couple players with them in the main deck which initially just like got me thinking okay i have this random burst lighting in my deck let me just make that vapor snag like that seems like a great swap um knowing that there's probably two jun shadows a heliod which you know vapor snag is very clutch in that matchup especially because of Oriok champion 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's honestly just a lot of little niche spots where it, it's it's a huge blowout. Like not only just getting rid of that card, but turning off the Heliod is something that comes up with that. Um, even bouncing the Heliod in the spot. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to cut the one burst lighting for the snag. And then I went through my sideboarding. Um, like I mapped out all my sideboard plans and I was just boarding in Vapor Snag and, you know, four of, or three of the five expected matchups. So I was like, because I was even, even Tron, I'm going to bring it in for Warm Coil, of course. So I was like, okay, I just got to have a second for sure. Just, you know, almost like pre-boarding. I mean, but also I've seen it in the main deck in some lists, but I, I do think it's... Uh, it's kind of just like a hedge for like exactly what you're saying for the format and knowing that I'm Heliod and Jund are basically like, you know, target A and target B and the mirror. Mm-hmm. It's good in the mirror too, obviously, because Sprite Dragon and, um, you know, can get out of bolt range or whatever. So yeah, a little bit of a long winded vapor snag rant, but I, uh, it, I think it was actually really good, you know, last minute change I made, uh, to, and I have the third in the board. So, and I hope your Sprite Dragons are Sprite Dragons and not, uh, Dorette, perfect pets. The Godzilla card. The Godzilla ones. <laughs> I don't even know. Which card? There's a, the Sprite Dragon has an alternate art that people play on Moto sometimes. It's uh, it's some Godzilla thing. Oh, sure. Uh, no, I'm, but I'll make sure my neck's pretty for the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I, that's kind of what I expect from you anyway. Yeah, you know, there, yeah, there will at least be beta lands. I mean, we'll see, because I'll probably have to borrow it from Manistrators, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll see what they give me <laughs> if i get some nice bolts or not but i have ops and beta lands on my account so we'll be good the odds of mismatching playsets are like moderate so you know yeah if, if my steam i think i have one new steam vents on my moto account so if you see two mismatched steam vents i'm sorry Lee. It, it'll just happen <laughs> <sighs> it's it's fine man the new one sucks though God. I will say, uh, I don't know if you guys want to talk about anything else in particular, but uh, I'd be, I'd love to talk a little about Cube. Oh, oh I think I, we have to talk about yes. Cube. Yeah, that's one of the formats of the tournament. We would not be doing our duty if we didn't talk about Cube. Great. Yeah, of course. First of all, this is like the first high stakes Cube, so like I just, I just love that. I just, I gotta say, like it's the first high stakes Cube for you. I just, it, yeah, it's you, it's just amazing. It's just everything uh-huh. I could ever imagine. Yeah. I mean. I love Cube. I'm fucking here to gamble. <laughs> Excuse me. But uh, I'm just very excited. And it's not a format where you really ever get to do this in. So it's kind of almost like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. For anyone who's not aware of the joke there, Lee did play in the one and only Cube Championship. At there, the... there were two. There's oh, been another one. Was but it? I played oh, in the okay. first one. Yeah. Okay. You played... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a... well, you, made you had to it. qualify you had for to qualify. it. And then I top forward and top four split. So I made the most I could. Yeah, and we waited in the Berglund Center in the middle of, like, the greatest snowstorm that Roanoke had ever seen. <laughs> that was the snow. I remember this, obviously, very vividly. Yeah. And then the next year, I was on the verge of qualifying, and Anderson Leclerc knocked me out into the semifinals. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I mean, Lee, you're, like, one of the best cube players I know, without a doubt. So this should be good, because honestly, there's, like, I feel like I've discovered some new strategies in cube as of late obviously y'all know i love cube and for any of the listeners like uh especially you know within the last year or two uh you know especially with covid i would I would argue that cube is basically my favorite format i think it's been your favorite format for a while you just haven't two years yeah yeah um so this is just a, a treat but um okay on to the strategy so lo- level zero cube is you know take the blue cards take the lands 
you're good. I mean, that's really it. Uh, blue cards are overpowered. There's a huge influx of them, so you're it's kind of hard for your deck to be bad almost. And if you start with the blue cards, you just take all the ones you see because you don't want other people drafting blue. Yeah, and to add to that, like counter spells are just incredibly powerful in cube because a lot of the time people are spending a lot of resources, whether it be mana dorks, mana rocks, whatever, uh, you know, combo cards into casting one big thing, which obviously right. if you counter, it's pretty dang good. Take take their turnabout and their high tide sucks. You take their, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, you know, cast three elves and cast a crater huff, you counter it and they have three elves. Yeah, like especially in vintage cube too, right? Because there's so much fast mana. You can they like spin cards playing fast mana to get their one thing out. You like miscalculate it, and they're just so down so many resources. Yeah, yeah. So that you know, that's just kind of level one. And the blue cards have honestly like even gotten better. Like uh, especially obviously the blue green cards, which we'll talk about. It's the only place you can play Oko anymore. Yeah, it's really good there too. So yeah, that's I think level one. Uh, real real quick, I guess I want to talk about the lands thing. And this is something I think I've gotten a better understanding of lately. So everyone just goes after all the duels and fetch lands early and stuff, um, which I'm not saying is bad, but I think it's kind of been oversaturated. Um, Abe Abe sent me this video of, uh, of Max Mick. You guys are familiar with Max Mick? He's a young California player. Uh, I believe he won a team Grand Prix and Limited. Very strong though. Like he had like top five ELO before COVID. Uh, very strong player. He's like 19 years old, played on a couple pro tours, uh, you know, r- hung out with the, the Tomiko two crowd, yada, yada, uh, back before we you know when we could play tournaments. Very, very smart kid. And Abe sent me a cute video of his where he, he was really talking about this. When you come, when you draft the lands, you're, it's almost like an archetype itself. You're kind of like committing to just like four color nonsense or just like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to play whatever I can find and I can cast it all. So I'll be good. And that's just, and like, that's not bad necessarily, but everyone has known about that for so long that just like everybody tries to do it. And when that's the case, it's actually just probably a lot better to draft a monocolor or a two color deck. And that kind of segues into what my, like, I guess, level one approach is, which is how I've been drafting a lot more lately, is monocolor decks. I think monocolor decks are so freaking good, especially mono green, maybe splash a little blue in, in recent formats and mono mono red especially i'm not a mono white aficionado but i also hear good things about that but all those decks are just so freaking solid mono green ramp you can't really go wrong there's a million elves there's a million good three drops a bunch of good card advantage a billion bombs uh guys cradle super underdrafted which is crazy because everyone values land so much you feel like they would take one of the best ones I, i was talking to evan whitehouse about this very recently he's been kind of you know we, we have a little cube vintage or vintage cube discord we've been doing recently for the mocks uh and literally when i started talking to him about cube recently and like i think i messaged him like a month and a half ago the first thing he said was guys cradle and rafellas are underdrafted and i was like yeah i was like i've been drafting a lot of green and he's just like yeah those cards are super underdrafted is rafellas really underdrafted i feel like it's one of the better cards in the cube it's insane but it's oh my god i see it wheel all the time fourth fifth pick not all the time but it's crazy that card goes so freaking late like it'll wheel pack two if nobody else is in heavy like a green ramp deck like or don't think they are after pack one they just won't won't do it which who knows what they have or whatever i completely agree like in my list of things i like first picking like 
one mana mana dorks are like very high on the non-power list of things i'm happy to first pick in vintage cube and those cards wheel all the time jiraga tree speaker it's like it's it's crazy so i think and the red one drops too that's another like you know people are i'm not saying you should take goblin guide over factor fiction pack one pick one but it's just like this this oversaturation of trying to play blue and these lands i think a lot of the times you'd just be better off say okay green card click red card click click like literally i i I, like i think that'll oftentimes again if we ran this through a simulator for five years i think the person taking the 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 bot taking a red card every time would actually probably do better than the person trying to draft the blue land strategy or whatever it like your example of factor fiction goblin guide is funny too because i'm more likely to take goblin guide there more times than not like even though it's a weaker card i think people are just so reluctant to commit that early to any specific strategy so it's really strong if you like open like goblin guy's not insane right but it's just a one drop and you need it for a red trick like rafael's is insane so if i get that in an opening pack i'm fine taking it and just making that a strategy uh, another thing with these decks is you can you can wheel them so easy or you can pivot so easily that's one of my mm-hmm. favorite you know i take a you know three blue cards and then i see a goblin guide or a, a bomac or whatever it is a sulfuric vortex and there's no other blue cards in the pack it's really easy to pivot and again, just red card, click, red card, click for the rest of the draft. Uh, even starting in like end of pack one, pack two type territory. And I think same goes for green with just the, how many elves there are, you know, how much good card advantage there is on four, three, yada, yada. So yeah, I'm really big on mono green and mono red specifically. Or gr- green blue is kind of attached to. Yeah, you you t- you pick up a blue splash pretty easily a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. and actually I'll, I'll talk about that briefly too because initially when i messaged evan it was i was drafting a lot of green blue specifically and you know you can go a lot of ways with that but mostly base green you know either splash a small amount of blue whether it just be some top end like consecrated sphinx you know venser type stuff um upheaval bribery all that type type of nonsense opposition yeah but you can actually go a lot of ways you can go upheaval opposition you can go like blue control splashing, you know, Sylvan Library tracker type stuff. But yeah, ultimately I found myself just like green, either ramp or kind of mid-range, almost like tempo type strat. Like Master of the Wild Hunt type deal. Events are counterspell, you know, almost like just like a blue value, green blue value, you know, type deck. But again, you can go a lot more hard on the ramp. And that, I think, opens the door more up to upheaval, opposition, which are kind of almost like a, you know, same overall archetype, but a a little different. But you can go all those ways. And another one is that I didn't even mention, which I was doing all the time, is just time spiral. Like with with Nyssa, Heartbeat of Spring, Mirari's Wake, you could even splash the red one. There's a lot of ways to double your mana. Nyssa being like one of the new amazing ones. and you know with the draw sevens it's or you know time spiral in particular yeah a zero mana draw seven that's not or a negative six mana draw seven yeah yeah so you know and i mean that's just a combo that like the doors have been open to even more as of late with uh cards like you know commit to memory and nissa and uh obviously hydroid crisis is really good in that type of deck um so uh yeah, a lot of blue-green, but point of that being, I, I think, like, kind of almost level one or, like, the decks I think are really, really good outside of blue are just mono-red, mono-green. So, yeah, that kind of covers, I guess, like, the next tier. And then 
I would say like the 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 best decks are if you can make them work are actually the combo decks um, like Storm and Reanimator. I'm actually really high on Reanimator. I think it's really good, really underdrafted. A lot of pieces. Uh, you know, even a card like uh, Makeshift Mannequin. You know, which goes super late and nobody else is going to play. It, it's just really good in that type of deck. There's just so many pieces that when you are doing that, your deck often looks very consistent because you're, you know, obviously in Tomb Reanimate are the, the bangers you're looking for or whatever. Um, Black Tutors also kind of apply there. You know, you can just fill your deck up with redundancy of, you know, Necromancy and Shallow Grave and Makeshift Mannequin and Umbero Rites and all these cards nobody wants. Uh, <clears throat> you kind of just get like a huge influx of. So I, I really like Reanimator. Something I actually just heard LSV talking about before I got on the stream was because somebody asked him how he would approach a high stakes cube. And he said those types of decks are, are really good, but he wouldn't go for them as much because, you know, it's a lot riskier. You want, you want it to fall into your lap, kind of. Like you want to notice that all these cards are in the packs, like in the first pass, and they see and note if they come around, you can like make a heart pivot. The best cards in the archetype are worth picking, you know, Entomb is worth just taking because, like, it's the best card for Reanimator. So I, I think, like, you know, depending on what else is in the pack, obviously, like, that level of key irreplaceable effect for an archetype that is really powerful, like, that that may still be worth, like, spending a very high pick on. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with that. And if, yeah, if I was looking at Entomb or Goblin Guide first pick, I would definitely take Entomb. And that's kind of actually like exactly my point of like at the end, LSV said at the end of the day, he would probably only go for that sort of like, you know, risky storm type archetype 10% of the time, you know, and like 90% or whatever, he would try to go for a more normal strategy. And he basically the point being, you know, more times than not in a high stakes environment, he would go for a normal strat, but he wouldn't rule out trying to go uh, for go for the gusto basically and i think that's kind of gonna be my approach too it's and i i think i don't want to say too much because i don't want to right this is the one you can like you can say what archetype you're gonna play in modern because everybody's gonna yeah but the the cube strategy is a little bit like you don't want to give away the goat yeah i'm not gonna say everything but point basically yeah you like if you see you're not gonna go into the draft saying that you'll never draft a single like storm adjacent card because it can fall flat because it does have that potential to just be very good. For sure. But I think I'm going to go in, you know, more times than not, I want a good deck. And I know how to mm -hmm. do that. I know what those are. And I'm going to try and do that. <laughs> so, you know, without giving anything away or saying too much, <laughs> that, that's basically my going to be my approach of, you know, um, I, I know what the hell is good. I know what other people think is going to be good or is good. So I'm going to keep that in mind for sure. Maybe try to stay clear. But obviously everything's contextual. Got to, you know, I'm going to open my packs and see. But uh, yeah, I just want to draft a good deck and make sure, you know, I really don't want like less than a seven. You know, like at all. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to try to risk it unless the opportunity is there, I guess. One thing that's cool about the monocolored decks is I actually think that a lot of the same reason that people uh, advocate for taking fetch lands and dual lands really highly like actually kind of applies in in a, a similar way and, and what you said about like be open to moving into those decks late makes a lot of sense so like in cube all of the cards you take are going to be good cards 
Like, you're not going to be short on spells. And that's why taking lands early is good, because it you're going to have 23 good spells in your deck, kind of regardless of what you do. If you take the lands early, then that adds consistency to your deck, uh, adds flexibility to your deck, and, you know, turning an island into an underground sea in your blue-black deck is a way bigger improvement in your deck than, you know, putting a... a a slightly a counter spell over a, a slightly worse counter spell or something like that, whatever your your spell replacement would be. So that's like the the fact that there's so many good spells is the reasons why like lands are so good. You you are gonna end up with a playable deck regardless. Kind of similar though, like you're leveraging that I have more picks than I need for my deck by saying like I'm totally willing to like I don't have any red cards, but I see this goblin guide's seventh pick. I can go into red. I can just like toss out those first seven, those those first six picks, and that's fine. Like I have plenty of time to build a deck because it's cube, and there's so many good cards. And if I'm playing mono red, I don't have to take lands, so it it kind of balances out, and you you leverage that same sort of thing. Uh, so I think they're actually kind of like dovetailing sort of strategies, really. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting, and I love the point that, and this is one of my favorite things about drafting these mono color decks is. Yeah, it lets you just kind of slam these powerful cards and not have to worry about the lands. It's just, you know, okay, I don't need to think about my mana base. I'm just going to take the best card for my, my strategy every single time. And the lands you do take are just like crazy good, like Strip Mine or whatever. Library yeah. of Alexandria. And I, I think that, you know, it, it kind of going back to what you said about uh, Cube, you know, all the cards are really powerful. This is something that Max Mick was preaching. It's like if, if you have a two color deck, you 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 don't need to worry about the mana. You can just take all the good cards and you know have you know each card that is going to be the most individually powerful for your strategy. That allows you to you know not worry about taking mana fixing or uh, you know yada yada. So I think that's kind of almost a big boost for playing a monocolor deck. It's like it's kind of like a, a hidden bonus of playing that of playing that deck it's like oh i don't actually need to worry about fixing at all i can just take the banger every single time and uh mm -hmm. know that that's how i'm going to be building my deck yeah i don't know i maybe got a little off tangent there but i think uh nah this is the episode for that we're just talking about the mock like we're talking about cube we're not trying to like you know unwrap any deep magic the gathering truths or just or like any current format breakthroughs or like we're we're having fun like, who knows when our listeners are going to, like, come back to this episode after they've queued for their high-level cube. <laughs> you know? I mean, hopefully they, you know, they're stacking up some trophies after this. Because, you know, there's some, I hope so. some good some good info, maybe, you know, a little, maybe a little here, a little there. I will say my most winningest cube, not my favorite, but my most winningest cubes are typically mono-white or mono-red. Uh, mono-red, I, 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 like, have all the data I need. I know mono-red is just dumb. But talk to me about mono white. That that's actually something I need to hear more of because I'm very much not a mono white. Well, it's it's because it's kind of bad, really. Like it's it's not horrible. It's just that it doesn't have the same awareness of it like mono red does. Like if you see mono red cards go late, you're like, oh, I can pivot into this and crush everyone, and everyone knows it. But like all the white cards are kind of interchangeable and piddly. But they're all pretty aggressive and are fine. They're good cards. And they just keep coming around and coming around. And if you pick up on that, like, fairly early, you get your pick of the litter 
of every card you want because no one's drafting. Yeah, and uh, not to interrupt, but that exactly, I think, applies to green and red, probably to a lesser extent, as you were just saying. Like, people know about those ones. It's a little more out of the box. But I still think it's applicable where it's just like you just you just get it all. You just see everything and, you know, uh, you, you have a, a variety of cards to choose from. Or, uh, yeah. And it, like or just nobody's, nobody's drafting those archetypes. Like, they're just not that. Everyone's drafting blue or storm or reanimator or whatever you know it's going to be different each draft but when that's the case you just you just get so many cards for your archetype but yeah sorry didn't mean to interrupt no i i just like the mana tonight like both thalia's and the geddon's i think are like pretty crucial to that strategy yeah and you think you do think geddon is crucial to that right yeah I, yeah it, it's just the best finisher you can ever have that's something i know you listeners won't know my, my buddy carrie who obviously you guys know preaches that you know, you need Armageddon for Monoway. Way's terrible if you don't know Armageddon. Uh, so I, I just want to know if that's actually true. I believe it is closer to true than untrue. Like, you can have a serviceable Monoway deck, but I think if you don't have Armageddon or, like, a really high density of, like, all the Thalias or whatever, like some banner tenant aspect, you're just falling behind the other monocolor decks. I was drafting a blue-black deck. Uh, I actually played with this morning. I drafted last night. That was uh, I was playing for the trophy in game three. My opponent on the play just mocks Diamond Thalia. Turn two, Vryn wing mares me. Oh. <laughs> and and was, you're dead. You're dead. You just got get in on turn two. Dumb. It was brutal. Uh, mono white to deck that I believe is good. I think I would put it under mono red. Yeah, it, I think so. Yeah, in the, in the tier list, but it probably falls in that same sort of category of like underdrafted, huge influx of cards, totally solid strat. It's like kind of hard to mess up. It's a little more flexible than mono red to me because there's a lot of good splash options in white, and like the cards are much more flat in power level than like a bunch of the red cards are. Like the white cards are pretty much interchangeable outside of like the Thalias and whatnot, and you can just splash really easy like if you get an off color mox center or dual land blue is a good splash black yeah. probably is fine too red red's not a good spot red red white is terrible right that's that's a a crucial mistake that a lot of people make when drafting cubes for the first time is drafting a red white aggro deck but like the cards you're not gaining anything from one color that you can't just get in the other color and have a perfect mana base you know it's not that important to have incinerate in your mono white deck like i i I believe if you remove all red white gold cards from all from cubes people would just be tricked into playing that color fair like way less often (laughs) yeah oh johnny vengeant and nahiri yeah oh yeah those are traps um there's that new red white card that's like a saga that exiles the top three showdown of the scales that card is really good i I was about to say i want to play with that one i haven't played with that one yet that that card seems good I, I haven't played with one yet either, but I suspect you still can't play a red-white aggressive deck with it. Because it just doesn't work. I was watching LSV stream the other day, and he was playing... I, he was cubing, he drafted a Niv-Mizzet deck, and he had Showdown of the Scalds as one of his couple of Boros cards in his deck. And his opponent knew what his hand was, because he had showed it off of Niv-Mizzet, and it included Showdown of the Scalds and Bloodbraid Elf, and he had Raging Ravine in play. But his opponent ended up ramping into fatties that killed all of LSV's board, and then sneak attacking 
in a Blightsteel Colossus for, you know, and in classic sneak attacking in a Blightsteel Colossus form, LSV had a single blocker, which made the Blightsteel Colossus just not do anything at all. So takes the damage off of his opponent's other attackers, blocks the Blightsteel Colossus with his Oracle of Moldiah, goes to like one life and nine poison, and then untaps his showdown of the Skelds, ticks, so he animates his Raging Ravine, casts Bloodbraid Elf, trigger puts a counter on the Raging Ravine, Cascade, trigger puts a counter on the Raging Ravine, attack with both, attack trigger, counter on the Raging Ravine, exactly lethal because his opponent just went all in on his attacks. It was beautiful. That's sick. That's that's awesome. I actually wanted to say on that note, with uh, like some of these new cards are actually pretty sweet. I, I've been playing with uh, Kozumiya, whatever, how do you say that one? Kozima, the, the boat. Kozima, yeah. Um, that one's been great in blue-green. Oh, surprise, shocker. Uh, but uh, uh, I've been really impressed with that one. Uh, honestly, Valky, I've had cast against me and been pretty solid. I haven't seen the, the Planeswalker been cast yet. And then I'm trying to think of if there was another new card that stuck out. Because um, I feel like I am missing one. Sky Skyclave is new-ish, and that card's really good. We all know that card's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so good in cube, especially with all the mana rocks and stuff. Uh, actually, some other ones, not in this new set, but that are newer in the cube that are definitely good. Obviously, Brazen Borrower is kind of an obvious one. That's certainly solid, not insane, but probably better than Vendillion Cliff, honestly, at this point. And then the one I really like is the Thieving Skyclave or whatever. Is that, is that how you say that? The one that steals Artifact? Yeah, that card's good. Thieving Skydiver. That card's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's very, very, very good in Vintage Cube. Yeah, was that two or three sets ago now? It's in the Zendikar set. Had kicker. Is it, yeah, it's Kicker, yeah. That that card's insane. Um, so I've been I've been definitely enjoying that one. I mean, obviously all the blue green cards from Crisis to Oko to Uro, not so much. People should draft Uro less. And it's too hard to enable him. Yeah, I see people trying to do Omnath too too much. Like, I, I love fun, but it's hard. It's <laughs> it's hard, man. Like you know, the problem with Omnath is you typically just don't have that many fetch lands to like make him really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have like search tomorrow, search for tomorrow, Oracle Dryad, I think you can maybe get some going. But uh, you then know, you, you just stick to Monograde at that point. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, th- those cards have all been good. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I missed from from these new sets, but um, I really like Kozima. Co- but yeah, you know, that's kind of just more or less broadly what I'm thinking about in cube. You know, blue decks, mono green, mono red, kind of mono white, some combo decks in the mix. I haven't drafted enough sneak attack. I think Splinter Twins overrated. I'll say that. Bold claim. Mm-hmm. I'd probably get canceled on Twitter. Well, yeah, you, you can't say that on Twitter. That's just... But I think it's very overrated. Both? Okay, here, here's my Splinter Twin piece. All the cards are terrible. Every single one except Kiki Jiki. Uh, Kiki Jiki's great, obviously. Kiki Jiki's Ellis and stuff, that's a different ballgame we're talking. But... That's just a mono-red combo. Yeah, I lo- and I love drafting in mono. Sometimes you cast Zealous Conscripts and your opponent just dies that turn, so... <laughs> yeah, that card's phenomenal, obviously. I think most people are keen to that. But I love having that combo in my mono red deck, just as like a, these are my mm-hmm. two finishers slash it's here. Yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes it's in the, sometimes the Kiki Jeek is in the sideboard and you just bring it in. Uh, I dude, I get the Imperial Recruiter in there all the time. You know, you get a Skull Clamp, <laughs> another underrated card by the way. Shh, but um, that goes in every that goes in every deck. 
Yeah, I don't underrate Skull Clamp. I have, <laughs> yeah. I have, I have Llanowar Elves in my deck like two thirds of the time I'm cubing, so Skull Clamp, Skull Clamp gets in there most of the time. Yeah, uh, one that goes pretty late, I'd say, a little too late, often. Uh, I mean, full disclaimer: that card's just power when you're when it works. When, when that when you have a deck where Skull Clamp is good, it's literally just better than Ancestral Recall or something. It just means playing fourteen creatures, and then Skull Clamp is really good, more or less. So all the individual cards, like Deceiver, Pester, and Splinter Twin, of course, I think are just awful. And also, the mana is hard to, to make work. But another thing that I've just been more keen to recently is, like, I think Narset Wheel of Fortune is a better Splinter Twin. I think Nissa Time Spiral is a better Splinter Twin. And, you know what I mean? Those cards are just way better. You can just cast them as magic cards, and they basically do the same thing. And the Narset can find two card combo. You know, sure, the Nissa one's a little more expensive. I mean, well, Narset like Narset finds Wheel of Fortune and a host of other cards. Like, what? When does Deceiver Exarch find this winner? Leo Volt, Leo Volt two. Leo Volt is in the yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's just a way better Splinter Twin. So you're just saying there's enough two card combos in the cube that you could fit in your deck. You don't need to warp your whole deck to fit this one. Like, I just know, think mythical. people take it so early. Like, people just mm-hmm. take Splinter Twin and Deceiver Exarch first pick, and it's just. <laughs> I just. It's think, a mythos thing. It's not like a gameplay thing. Yeah, it's like I just don't think we're in a world where you need to force Splinter Twin. I, I again, I just and I at that I think people aren't as keen to like again. Narset plus the draw seven is literally just I think a better combo. Just better cards, yeah. better combo, not susceptible to removal. The other problem you run into is that like the vast majority of the red cards are terrible in a deck that has blue cards in it. So red's like the worst splash. Yeah. Yeah, that's another problem with it, too. I mean, I'm not trying to bash Splinter Twin as an archetype. You can certainly get some great Splinter Twin decks, for sure. Um, but I am I just think people overvalue it, and they should be more aware that there's two card combos. I mean, uh, hell, Bitter Blossom Skull Clamp, that's Splinter Twin. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, like a better Splinter Twin, too, because, you know, it can draw you into other Splinter Twins. Yeah, you know, like, I don't think people think about that, you know, like... Uh, and, and you get the whole fun of, like, playing an entire Magic the Gathering game where you are winning and your opponent, like, has to keep playing because maybe you're, like, not drawing anything somehow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's just something I think I've been a little more aware of lately. And, you know, it's not some, like, huge, you know, aha moment or anything. It's just, like, a little, like, you know, don't jump Splinter Twin as much. There's better stuff. You know, I don't know if I've ever thought about that explicitly. I've just always kind of avoided drafting Splinter Twin decks because I haven't really been able to construct them well. Like, the cards just don't line up easily or fall into place nicely, and they're kind of clunky. So I just, like, tend not to draft Splinter Twin decks when I have the opportunity to. I mean, it kind of almost puts you in a little squeeze, like, going back to what we were talking about earlier with the lands being, like, an archetype of their own. It really demands good mana as well as you to build your deck in a pretty specific way oh you you mean it's hard to cast kiki jiki and cryptic command in the same deck exactly yeah especially when we're drafting cube so yeah i think like that's a good point lee that not a lot of people consider either like and i i found that i've had that problem too where it's like i get my pieces but i just have no dual ends so my deck's just like crap <laughs> um and uh or you just like draft splinter twin you have your mana, but now your deck's like this like bad blue-red. You've got like a burst lightning and some painter pester mites, and it's just like, okay, if I don't draw the combo, I'm never gonna win a game. Yeah, I'm just like this like medium blue-red tempo deck. Yeah. Uh, and, if and, they and, have a dismember, I'm never gonna win a game. Yeah, and another thing, sneak attack. Sneak attack X 
Like that's mm-hmm. that's a Splinter right. Twin. You know, like that, that's Splinter Twin, right? Obviously, you know that the X is gonna be probably an uncastable magic card and sneak attack certainly not great on its own, but I it's kinda lower cost. Yeah, but sometimes your X can be an Inferno Titan or something like that. I, I, I've sneak attacked in Zealous Conscript still in the game multiple times. So. <laughs> Kiki, yeah, even Kiki, yeah. So yeah, I just think that's something that people should uh, consider more. Like, I don't know, I think Splinter Twin is just like this like ingrained combo in everybody's mind that like everyone loves Splinter Twin. I love Splinter Twin, it's great. <laughs> but it's... But you shouldn't be first picking Deceiver Exarch. Is... De- definitely that, and it's really just in the year 2020 and beyond, it's like we have better options today. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Narsa and Nissa, these are new cards that we weren't able to play with. Narsa on its own is like one of the scariest cards in Vintage Cube. If you're not playing one of the creature decks, like you're, you can't allow your opponent to resolve a Narsa. Like you're going to die. It also comes out so fast because the green has so much mana ramp. Narsa, or not Narsa, Nissa comes out turn three, like at the latest. Mm-hmm. Now, when I see it, and even if you are playing a creature deck, it just makes three threes every turn. Oh yeah, no, Nissa is crazy. I was saying Narset is like if you're oh, not Narset. if you're not playing Goblin Guides, like Narset is just disgusting in, in Vintage Cube. Uh, you know, same with Leo. I've been really impressed with Narset though. Over like I, I was like I, I didn't even know how to judge it at first. Like I knew it was good. I didn't know how good. I didn't know if it was like better than Jace. But now I'm kind of starting to think it might be Jeez. just because of that draw effect is just so and the the ability to combo with it mm-hmm. uh so my point being like initially seeing it in the cube it's like okay yeah this card's probably like a seven and now i'm like damn this might be like eight five right like in the in the group of cards that's just under power like it's not it's not oko fractured identity but yeah it's probably <laughs> like a little under it's probably like a little under um i i like narset more than jace because like jace is always solid but i tend towards drafting narset because of the like huge upside like it always does its job and occasionally you just win the game with it. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, the combo element is just such a... Like, it just can't be understated of how good that is. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Narset. I've only gotten higher on it as I've, as I've drafted with it. So, I actually haven't gotten that draw seven combo a ton. I've done it more with Leovold. But I haven't... I've probably only done it with Narset, like, two or three times out of all my drafts, which is kind of disappointing, but... I know it's I know it's very good. Like I mean, you don't really need like even just landing Narsa and then like safely minusing it. It's just like you're so far ahead at that point. It, like you don't really need to do the draw seven usually. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I you know, hopefully I get a good green or red deck. I would not be disappointed with a good blue deck obviously, but I think that many people will be probably trying to to draft that. So What do you think your So you know, I've been thinking about this one moment from the last mocks where Michael Jacob was cubing. And I, I, for some reason, I had assumed that, you know, he has cubed plenty, but it turns out he actually doesn't have a ton of cube experience. That's not a format that he enjoys. I believe um, he had done three prior. Yeah. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really ready for it. And so you, he was our perspective player when we watched the cube happen and I, you know, I think he really messed up his deck. He basically, like, had a clear opportunity to have a solid double Armageddon white deck or, you know, a couple of other potential options. But even, like, after a number of picks, like, it was pretty clear, like, play Armageddons, play white creatures, like, your deck will be fine if you do that. And he, you know, turned it down and ended up in this, like, pretty... Weird uh, red-white. It was, like, awful. I'm not trying to diss Michael. J- I have a lot of respect for Michael Jacob as a player. Right, but he just wasn't ready for this format. Torch the draft. 
fortunately. Yeah. And, um, and even Oliver, too, somebody who's drafted a lot more and I think did a good job overall with this draft, I think had some, you know, not to diss him, but pretty bad picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch He did the, he, he was the feature drafter initially, uh, and LSV was up commentating. And, you know, he overall, I think, built a good deck, but there were some really, really clear mistakes, I think, and, and that also just compounded throughout the draft. He, long story short, he took a blight steal as a um, channel target very early over like a good card, like an Oracle of Moldiah. And LSV noted that blight steal is a really bad channel target because it doesn't win the game initially. It can get bounced and get killed. You know, it's you can just die. <laughs> you want something that ETBs when you channel. It's mm-hmm. just not even a you know that that's what you want. So then he he takes that instead of a great magic card for his deck and then later has to pick up another channel target because he chose that one and it's still not good enough over like an elf he has to take like an ulamog mm-hmm. over a lanor elf later in the draft because he now still needs a good channel target <laughs> you know because this this one isn't actually like good enough. and i think there was another pick that also kind of compounded after that as well um and yeah i mean so, so what do you think of your pod's overall cube experience? Do you think there are some players who, who who have potential to be, like, making those sorts of mistakes? Or is everybody kind of a killer or at least knowledgeable enough that, you know, you know, you don't, you, you don't think you're that likely to end up with islands in your deck because everybody's played enough cube? Yeah, actually, great question. And I'm pulling up the uh, matches they've played to actually give you a, a better answer for that. Because um, I know... Daniel has played very little cube. So mm-hmm. Ghoul, um, and yeah, it says here, well, he's only got 79 cube matches under his belt. But he's also been talking with you and Evan and stuff about cube, so he's not clueless either. He's definitely gained a lot recently, but yeah, someone like him has a lot less drafts. And then this guy, Tetsusushi uh, Sawada, mm-hmm. he has 39 drafts under his belt. I actually have the fourth most. So uh, Devin O'Donnell, who's a friend of mine, somebody I know pretty well, he... Uh, He's done almost 900. I'm sure he's got a pretty solid idea of Q. Honestly, I would expect Devin to be pretty good at the format. I am actually level 51. He's only done 51 drafts. So, um, you know, I don't know how good this, this person is at Magic. I don't know what their limited, you know, prowess is. But I would guess that, yeah, they're probably not the most amazing vintage cube drafter. This guy, uh, Martin Guther, uh, Meg, they have about 700 drafts. I have 600. And then... Delmar Leon has 300, and then the last player, Mr. Jackal, has 632. So it's a, around the same amount that I've played for about half the players. Yeah. And and even at the low end of that, like, 50 cube drafts is not, you know, you've at least, like, got an idea of what's going on so these at aren't that point. drafts. These are matches. Oh, those are matches. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, maybe 20-ish drafts total or something like that. Yeah, so, um, you know, seeing that, it's a little bit of a range. I'd say it's, you know, we've got three, four players who are mm-hmm. a little more in the dark. You know, obviously, Ghoul's got us to communicate with, which is going to give him a boost, I think. But uh, some of the other players are going to be a little, you know, new to this. And then it seems like we've got a solid amount of experience for the rest. Not to be overly cocky, but I'm, and also just based on win rates, I'm sure I'm in the top four cube drafters here, probably three or two. Um, I, I mean, I, I also think cube, I think cube is just also very, very difficult to draft, especially when everyone's conscious of like stakes and stuff. I know when I was doing like my cube draft, 
uh, we had like two or three people who had just never cubed before. And one of them was next to me, so that was cool. But like, I know I made mistakes, like multiple mistakes in my picks as I was doing the draft. And that's just like kind of going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cube is really hard. Like, I think that's just something that has always been understated. Like, you know, it's kind of a fun format, but it's really difficult. Like, like the moment you have to take it seriously, you realize that, oh, this is like impossible to make the like optimal decision at any given time. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think drafting and playing a storm deck in cube is actually probably the hardest thing in Magic. Uh, yeah. Carrie and I have talked. I remember we were, I was doing some cube draft on you know New Year's Eve like three years ago. You know, we're all drunk or whatever, and I'm drafting storm. Like trying to play for the three, I'm just fumbling through it, and I'm like going off, but like fizzling and like you know playing horribly or whatever. And that was when we included. It's like yeah, storm is the hardest deck. Period. Like the cube storm. Right, There's, where you're scrapping for every bit of, yeah. Like, the best deck I've ever drafted in any format ever was a cube, a vintage cube storm deck, and it was also the hardest deck I've ever played. You just have, you have, like, five cards in hand, and you have to make them all work perfectly, you know, sequencing-wise, tutor-wise, playing around, whatever, yada, yada, and it's and then, you know, work with your resources of your, you know, 23 cards you picked or whatever. It's, it's really... It's, it's very interesting. So um, it seems like we've got a decent, a little mix, well-versed and newbies. So we'll see. Now, this is more for my edification. I don't know if any listener will be interested in this at all. But what has the process been like on your end with, you know, the team that's doing coverage and stuff? Like, do you know who's going to be featured? Do you know how they're going to handle that or anything like that? Not much. I know LSV's commentating. Well, the, the commentary team is sweet. It's LSV, Anurag. Emma Handy, I believe. Oh, wow. And is Ballmeister doing it? No, no Ballmeister? No, because it's it's like Randy is running the show for it. So Yeah, I, I honestly didn't know much, but that's a great squad. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That's it's, yeah, Anurag, Emma, Cedric, LSV, and Patrick Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I knew yeah. about Ceddy and Peace Yes. Okay. That's gas. I hope they, I hope I draft Monorad and they watch. Yeah, we'll 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 see, but uh, that's that's a, that's a gas uh, coverage lineup. So, I'm excited, man. This tournament's gonna be freaking sweet, uh, and it's also just been forever since I played something like this. I, I played all the pro tours last year, which was kind of actually a, a big accomplishment, but it, it felt really weird, and I really didn't take them that seriously because it was all pandemic online events. Yeah, I just really didn't care. There was like no stakes. You know what I mean? You weren't playing for anything. You didn't get to travel anywhere. It didn't like feel like a big. Yeah, event. I just played mono green aggro and goblins because they were good, and I didn't think about it. Like it was, and this one I've actually had to care and think. You know, I, I couldn't not put some time and effort into it. So I don't know. It just feels a little different. There's also like a little more, like vintage cube is a really sweet format. I know you love it a lot, and you like want to do well because it's a high stakes vintage cube tournament. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, for for a million reasons, I want to do well. Yeah, and I, I would love to, you know, be the Mox champion and show people like, yeah, you know, I'm not playing much anymore, but I still freaking got it. And <laughs> you know, you, you respect respect the name or whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just it's cool. It's cool to actually be caring about a tournament again. It's really the point of that, you know, because uh, last year didn't really get that. Yeah, I I totally understand that. Um, uh, but yeah. 
You guys have anything else well, you want to talk about? I don't know. Anything else you want to mention about the box or anything like that? Or Lee, do we have a question? We don't we don't have any uh any Patreon questions this time. Our our Discord really got just completely derailed by some sort of food nonsense. <laughs> um yeah, I mean nothing too big. Just, you know, uh testing with Daniel is great. You should follow him on Twitter. <laughs> uh I guess if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can too. Uh, Dylan D underscore MTG. I'm, I'm I'm very excited. I'm it, it's a, it's honestly a blessing that it's these two formats too. Like I feel very fortunate that it's you know I it would be harder to care if it was Pioneer or you know Standard, Standard or something yeah. that I you know I, I like Modern and I obviously love Cube too. So it, I, I'm really grateful that it's uh, those those formats instead of anything else where it would have been a little harder to be motivated. So um, slash just a I have a better understanding of these from the get-go um so yeah i don't know uh can't wait i hope uh me or dan takes it down and uh you know it's a good show etc i guess my my one last question is uh has evan been i don't know what the the right word is encouraging you pressuring you towards uh the stacks style decks <laughs> in vintage cube no i mean he hasn't he hasn't really pitch that uh evan evan loves prison decks in vintage cube and he's the only one i've ever seen be able to pull them off yeah he does um so daniel asked about some cards in the discord that you know kind you know some that could go in those types of archetype he asked about wasteland and strip mine i think maybe crucible too but he evan hasn't preached that as much he's actually like i think he just got on spring break or something so he said this week he's gonna be testing a lot more with us we're going to try to do some organized drafts this week, hopefully. Um, nice. Yeah, before the tournament of, you know, like Evan, myself, Dan, you know, get a squad of eight. So I'm going to try to do that this week. But no, he hasn't preached me any, any mono white of prison. I mean, maybe I should talk to him about it before, but, eh, you know. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I should. But it, it might be one to keep in your back pocket, but I don't think you can draft it at, you know, at the mocks unless you've already like drafted it several times like there's no way like it's too big of a risk raw dogging mono white evan whitehouse prison or whatever it right. seems yeah and, and, and like he really is the only person i've ever seen like actually be able to pull these off like they like you put smoke stacking i don't even know if that's in the vintage cube anymore but when it okay it still is it never leaves it's it like every time I've ever seen it in play for anybody else ever, it's just looked atrocious. So. I I three owed one time with a Naya deck that was Evan Whitehouse inspired, like last year. That was like you know a Johnny Vengeance Plow Under uh-huh. Armageddon, <laughs> you know Tangle Wire type deck. The one the one three O Johnny Vengeance gets a year. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not too super keen on that deck or uh you know know the ins and outs of it. So uh. Yeah, you know, back of the mind type deal. We'll, we'll see. I will not encourage you to be doing it, I, but but if you do and we get to see it, I, I mean, you know, it would make me very happy inside. I would love to be the featured drafter. I, I kind of doubt I will. I assume Del, Del Moraleon will, mm-hmm. uh, at least for the first one, but I would really love to, like, take some blue cards for the first pick and then just have, like, LSV or Peace seeing me, like, switch to Mono Red and just be like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and Peace I really would love that. So um, that would just make my 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 tournament, so regardless of the result. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's all I've got to say, I guess, for, for now. But thank you guys for having me on. 
Yeah, thank you for coming. I am so looking forward to watching this weekend. Saturday more than Sunday for obvious reasons, but I'll be watching both days of it. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be watching Sunday as well. I have uh, my buddy Pete Ward's in that one, so uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, this, you know, it's a biggie. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. It hasn't fully sunk in, but I think Friday I'll be, you know, a little nervous, a little excited, you know, yada yada. So yeah, the jitters. That sort of thing. Yeah. The pre-turny jitters, but they're good jitters. Dylan, thank you so much for being here. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. If you want to find us on social media, Dylan, you you said your Twitter. You can say it again, though. Yeah, Dylan D underscore MTG. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo, and you should all follow Daniel, like for real. He's the best. Uh, he's at G-U-I underscore D-U-K-A-T. Yeah, this is a an MTG Grindcast approved follow for sure. For sure. Uh, uh, if you can't if you can't win on Saturday, I will be rooting for Goldicott. So totally acceptable. Totally yeah. acceptable. Those are my two favorites. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, Dan Dan's my pick too. Uh, you know, and honestly, wouldn't be surprised if we took it home. Excellent player. If you want to lend us some support, head over to Patreon.com/slash MTG Grindcast. I mean, that's it for us. Really appreciate you listening. As always, Dylan, thanks again. Good luck this Saturday. Appreciate it. Appreciate well, it. Yeah, we have to have more like vintage cube tournaments because like we had will on mm-hmm. the the last time we got to talk with cube now we have dylan like we just need to make this like a continual thing yeah yeah well so here here is one thing for i i, I know everybody has like left but the diehards that are sticking <laughs> around until the episode actually like fully ends th- through the end of the music and stuff um one thing that we are trying to do a little more is be a little bit more organized with getting guests on uh particularly people who are qualified for the bigger tournaments that are happening. You know, it used to be the tournaments we talked about were the SCG tournaments and Collins and I, or Lee and I would be at most of those tournaments. And so we just talk about the tournaments we were gonna play in. Now the tournaments that are actually on our radar are things like this mocks or the the set championships, things like that. So I think we're going to try pretty hard to make sure to get people who are queued for those tournaments on each episode as much as possible. So if that's something that interests you, hopefully we will be able to bring you that sort of stuff. Um, if you are listening and you're qualified for something, hit us up and, you know, if you're if you're doing the work and putting the time in, then we, we may get you on and see how your prep is going. That's it. Uh, thanks so much, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Take care, guys.